Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Looking at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 413, for September 24th, 2010. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and it's a very special episode. We've got the 6th Annual NY It Awards. Uh, I got a chance to sit backstage and interview uh, most of the winners as they just received their award, as well as many of the presenters, including an interview with Deborah Monk. Uh, should No introduction should be needed there. As well as two-time Tony-winning costume designer Martin Pacladinez, among many others. This was my third year covering the award ceremony, and we got some great interviews, and many of uh, the past NY It winners have gone on to greater things, so uh, these are some of the names to watch in the future. The New York Innovative Theater Foundation was created to bring recognition to the great work being done in the New York City's off-off-Broadway scene to honor its artistic heritage and to provide a meeting ground for this extensive community. The organization advocates for off-off-Broadway and recognizes the unique and essential role it plays in contributing to American and global culture. They believe that publicly recognizing excellence in off-off-Broadway will expand audience awareness and appreciation of the full New York theater experience. So that's from their website. If you want to find out more about any of the winners or presenters that I interview, you can go to their website at nyitawards.com. There's also a link available from this episode, Volume 413, at the broadwaybullet.com website. But without any further ado, we got 24 interviews to get out of the way. So uh, let's get started with the 2010 NY It Awards. I'm here with Jennifer Harder at the NY It Awards, the recipient of the first award of the evening, Outstanding Actress in a Featured Role. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is really unexpected. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about, about the show, Milk, Milk, Lemonade, oh, that you won for. Great. It's about growing up gay in middle America. And I did grow up in middle America, so I understand what it's like. It's, um, it's a sweet, sweet show full of dancing and craziness. And I play a chicken. I play a depressed chicken who grows to an enormous size, and, but really she wants to be a stand-up comedian in New York City. Or as they call it, like, Town, USA. Just to move to Malltown. Um, so, anyway, yeah, it's a great show, and it's being produced at the Astoria Performing Arts Center in October. So, so, so it's coming back. Oh, yeah, they're going to remount it. I remember, I'm not even on Twitter, but I remember the first production, which is at Horse Trade, a little hole in the wall the Saint, um, under St. Mark's. People were, like, twittering, like, I can't get a ticket to Milk Milk Lemonade. What's going on? That's how popular it was. So, <laughs> so where are you from originally? Uh, oh, I'm from Michigan, the middle of Michigan, on a dirt road, grew up across from a cornfield in the middle of an overgrown Christmas tree nursery. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any shout-outs you'd like to give? 
Oh yeah, well I don't know if you get the if you actually live feed the, the, the speech that I just did, but I wanted to say thank you to everybody in the cast because it's truly an ensemble performance. Most talented people I've ever worked with, but also the playwright. Like this Joshua Conkle is amazing. He writes from the heart and he writes from his experiences and he writes so beautifully. I can't thank him enough. All right, well, Jennifer Harder, congratulations on your win for Outstanding Actress in a Featured Role, and enjoy your evening. Thank you very much. I'm here with Geraldine Hughes, who just presented uh, the awards for uh, Best Featured Actress and Featured Actor, correct? Sure, yes, both. I was very excited to be the first one up. I was very nervous. <laughs> but you know, you've had quite a career yourself, uh, film and stage. Uh, why did you want to come here and uh, present? Well, you know, you have to start somewhere. And um, I, I started off off-Broadway and, you know, and if the right play came along, I think I'd go back and do it again. I mean, but, uh, but it's brilliant. I mean, Nick and Clan do such an amazing job here to celebrate the really, really real, what we would call in Ireland grafters, you know, people who really aren't afraid to break a sweat and off-off-Broadway. It's kind of amazing. And it's an, it's an incredible night, too. This gorgeous theatre and everyone's dressed up and having fun. Amazing. Well, in the spirit of the NY It Awards, what was maybe one of your early successes on your career path? Oh, well, um, actually, I did... Um, it was actually a loss... Well, I have two stories. One is a New York story, which was at the Producers Club. 2001, I did my first ever New York play. And um, I actually have my friend tonight, Susan Ferrara, who I met during that show and so um, I really made some lifelong friends during that and um, it was quite an experience <laughs> that show it was really amazing and the other one start, I, I first did my show Belfast Blues in a 35 seat uh, theatre in Los Angeles that was originally a shoe shop you know so and then I've, I've also played that show in a thousand seat opera house so so great careers can come from small beginnings absolutely <laughs> any uh, upcoming projects you'd like to mention um, well, I'm working on a movie that I'm co-writing, actually, which we hope to make in Ireland next year, and I've just finished writing a new play. Um, so the, the writing hat is back on, so we'll see what happens. All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by, Geraldine Hughes, and thanks for presenting tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. Dixon Place just received the 2010 Stewardship Award presented to an individual or organization demonstrating a significant contribution to the off-off-Broadway community through service support and leadership. And we have got Executive Director Ellie Coven and uh, Marketing Director Barry Cowell here to... Barry Rowell, sorry, to talk about uh, their organization. How are you guys doing? Actually, I'm not the Executive Director anymore. Oh. <laughs> well, the press thing gave you uh, credit as Executive okay. Director. Well, I was for a long time, but I'm the founder, but I'm the Artistic Director now. Well, tell us a little bit about, about Dixon Place and, and what you guys do. Um, well, we're really uh, an organization dedicated to the development of new work. And that works in theater, dance, music, performance art, literature, circus arts, burlesque, vaudeville, just about every genre that you can think of. Um, and we provide a space for artists to really try out their new material and get feedback from the audience and a little bit of money and a videotape of their performance and try and help them with, you know, with their process. It's, it's all about more about process than it is about product at Dixon Place. 
And also, I imagine there, in addition with putting on the process, you got to get people in the seat. So, as marketing director, what what are some of the maybe more innovative uh, approaches you're trying to take to get you know, new audiences here? Well, actually, I'm the marketing associate, but <laughs> but, uh, but even then, uh, we've been we've been doing a lot more with the new media, as most people are these days, doing. Uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, of course, we have a Twitter account, and uh, and um, oh gosh, we've been doing a lot. We've been doing uh, more uh, working with uh, publications. We uh, Next was a sponsor. Next magazine was a sponsor of our Hot Festival, as was the Queerest uh, uh, blog, uh, and uh, really trying to focus more on using new media, YouTube videos when when we can. Obviously, with the some of the union things have to, uh, we can't do video for that. But since much of the work we're doing is dance, uh, solo performance, not much, but there is a good deal of it is dance, solo performance, we can do a lot more with video than, say, a theater company can. So it makes us a lot more flexible in terms of that. So what are uh, one or two of the next things coming up with Dixon Place? Uh-oh. Well, there's a lot of stuff coming up. Oh, yeah. I mean, every night it's something different practically. Um, but we have, um, we actually have four big productions this fall, um, in addition to all our dance series and works in progress series and literary series that happen on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And Thursday, uh, on the weekends, we present our commissioned works, and we usually do four dance every year and four theater commissions, and those people just get a lot more money and a lot more time, uh, a, a lot more opportunity opportunities to... Um, to present their work, you know, instead of one night, which is a lot of what we do is just one night, they get to do like, you know, four weekends. So we have um, a currently running is uh, a dance piece called Confined by Emily Berry Dance Company. And next month in October, we have um, Aldo Perez, what's the name it's of the show? Theater the Radio Purgatory. Oh, is Radio the name Purgatory the is the name of the show. Fabulous. It's going to be really, really intense multimedia um, musical performance. Amazing. And then uh, in November, November, we have Edwin Lee Gibson's new show, Five Till, which is... um, The last five minutes in the life of a a condemned man. He's about to get executed. Yeah, um, it's very—it's also very, very intense. And then we have a really fun show in December. Um, Holly Hughes's new show, uh, "Let Them Eat Cake," which is um, a play about uh, gay marriage, and it's—it's it's very audience participatory, and it will be a lot of fun. And uh, October first, second, and third, Dixon Place is the only place you can see the comedian Kate Clinton in New York City. Uh, we're having her for three nights for her Lady Haha tour. All right. Well, congratulations, uh, Dixon Place, and thank you, Ellie Coven and Barry Rowell, for talking about your organization. Oh well, thank, thank you. you. I'm here with Amir Darvish, who just won Outstanding Actor in a Featured Role for his role in Psych from Cake Productions. How are you doing? Excellent. How are you? Good. So you excited tonight? I'm very excited. It's such an amazing event, and so great to be here and uh, you know acknowledged for the work that we all do. So tell us a little bit about, a little bit about your role in the show that you won for. I played uh, Dr. Todd Cox, who was a very interesting character. Um, really, really enjoyed um, playing him. He was uh, very different and manipulative and uh, just had a lot of layers to him that I loved exploring and putting out there. 
So uh, what have been your, is this coming back or when was this performed in here in New York? Uh, we performed this uh, late spring, early summer, and uh, we just had a very limited run. So what's next on the horizon for you? Next on the horizon, actually, I'll be working with uh, NYU on the production of uh, 1001. Um, just got cast in that and uh, looking forward to it. So where are you from originally? Uh, originally, I actually was born in Iran and I was raised in Boston. <laughs> Interesting heritage. <laughs> so what are, what's your dream role? My dream role? Well, you know, actually, uh, one of my dream roles I already got a chance to play was uh, Freddie Mercury. I did a one-man show, um, and it was an incredible role to play, and uh, unlike anything I'll ever be able to do. All right, well, again, congratulations, Amir Darvish, on winning Outstanding Actor in a Featured Role, and best of luck uh, coming up. Thank you very much. Well, I'm here with, uh, I think she's quickly approaching the top of our most interviewed list, Wendy Sai. <laughs> you presented the award for Outstanding Choreography. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So you've, you've done a lot, actually, I believe, since uh, we last had you on the show. I know you've uh, you choreographed Toxic Avenger, to a fantastic success, and a bunch of other things. What else has been keeping you busy recently? Um, I've been going back to creating my own uh, original dance comedies. So hopefully we'll be getting those into theaters soon. Um, I'm also going to be working on Spelling Bee in the fall with a co-production of the Philadelphia Theater Company and uh, Paper Mill. And then I have my first Broadway show. I'm going to be working on the Pee Wee Herman show. Wow, congratulations there. Thank you. I'm very excited. So, uh, so what's the process been? Do you, do you keep incredibly busy or is it like lots of downtime? and something? How do you actually go ahead and audition for your, your position, so to speak? Um, it's who you know. It really is who you know. It's usually the director that brings me on. Um, and just over the years of working in off-off-Broadway, learning and uh, meeting people there, doing a lot of nymph, meeting a lot of people there, um, and just kind of staying in the community and continuing to work any job I can. And, and yeah, it just ends up being who you know, really. And also I did um, Dance Break, which was a wonderful showcase for choreographers. And that's how the director, John Rando, found me for The Toxic Avenger. Now, I think I'd heard rumors that Dance Break was on a break. Are, are they back going? Are they still going year-round? Uh, I'm not sure. I know they took a break after the year I did it. Uh, I did it in 2008, and then they took a hiatus 2009. Uh, I'm not sure where they are with this year. But it's definitely a resource that aspiring choreographers should look into. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing like it. Well, thanks for coming on down and uh, presenting to a uh, up-and-coming choreographer, winner here. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, and best of luck with everything, and uh, hope to see more of your stuff soon. Me too. Thanks. <laughs> I am here with Mark Valadez, who just won Outstanding Original Music for Caucasian Chalk Circle from Performance Lab 115. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good. So uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, creative input, your, your writing for the Caucasian Chalk Circle. Okay, so it was about a year and a half in the works. It started with a little small performance um, at the Mabu Mind Space, and um, I started with, uh, it was kind of like the set in sort of post-apocalyptic land and uh, all the items on the stage were sort of found in st items and I had a three-string three banjo. That's kind of where it started. Um, by the time we mounted the show in full, I bought a banjo and um, wrote the songs with a lot of help. From bought a banjo and learned how to play. Huh? 
I, actually, that's true. I, I, I'm a guitar player, but sort of figured out, um, you know, a sort of simple way to play the banjo, to make it sound like I could play the banjo. Um, but worked closely with the cast. Um, a lot of the, most of the ideas came from them, and I just sort of synthesized them into cohesive songs, and we had a show. And here I am. So do you have anything coming up on your plate? Uh, I'm moving to Portland next week, so that's on my plate. So how long have you lived in New York? I've been here um, just over eight years. So this is a nice little cap on your uh, career here? It really is, yeah, and surprising. I mean, I didn't. I didn't expect it. I mean, I said, I said out there that I'm actually not really a fan of musicals, so it's a little ironic that I'm winning for writing music for a musical. Um, yeah. So do you have plans for your uh, life in Portland? I'm doing a show in San Francisco um, in uh, the end of October. That's a little bit of a Portland plan, I guess. I mean, it'll be on the West Coast, but I don't know. We'll see what happens out in Portland. All right, well, once again, um, Mark Valadez, congratulations on your win for Outstanding Original Music, and good luck on your move. Thank you. I am here with Jonathan Lyons, who just won Outstanding Original Short Script for The Tenement, produced by the Associated Mask Ensemble. How are you doing tonight? Good, doing great. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the script that you just won for? Um, well, like I said, when I got the award, it's pretty amazing to um, win in this category for a play that has no dialogue in it at, at all. It's actually a um, movement-based mask theater piece, uh, but the script, I did write the entire script before we went into rehearsals, um, and then we kind of explored more of the story as it went on. And so, yeah, an incredible amount of awards per lines. What's that? An incredible amount of awards per line. Per line, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> But no, it's nice. It's a nice testament to the strength of a story, too, that a story can really be written down. You know, it's not necessarily based on what the characters are saying. So, so what was the, the show itself? Uh, it's the play is called The Tenement, and it's basically about a rat that becomes a human being and experiences life through the eyes of a person. Right, anything coming up on your plate? Um, I'm working on a couple projects with my collaborator, Daniel Brody. Um, and nothing we have firm dates for yet, but we'll definitely be letting everybody know when they come to. All right. Well, once again, Jonathan Lyons, just one for Standing Original Short Script, The Tenement. Congratulations and best of luck in your future endeavors. Thanks so much. I am here with the winner for Outstanding Solo Performance, Jesse Zaret. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. Well, tell us a little bit about the show that you won for. Uh, the show that I won for is called Binding, and it's a, a solo dance performance. It's a kind of a journey for a lone man. Is there? What do you do on stage? What what, what happens? Um, what happens? Um, what is this journey? Yeah, the journey is is um, uh, it's a it's a I think it's about a lot of things, but on the, on the most basic level, it's about searching for connection, searching for. Um, really deep and meaningful connection to another human being and how hard that is. So it's kind of looking at, at that process from perspective of a single body and all the different tactics we, we use to try and draw people to us and to try, to try to draw a relationship into our lives. So what else do you have up on the horizon? Um, performing this week uh, with Faye Driscoll at Dance Theater Workshop and then my own work kind of in development. 
All right, and also sitting next to you is uh, your presenter, David Drake, who uh, is well known for his uh, self-end show, The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. So uh, what brought you to the NY It Awards to, to present? A random email came my way. <laughs> is, is there a viral email just going around going, yeah. would you like to present? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, you know, all the other ones are, no, no. One of your producers thought, yo, David Drake, uh, you know, and it's, you're giving an award to Dixon Place, and I did my first performance of that solo show, which ran forever, uh, at Dixon Place, you know. I developed it there 25 years ago. So it's interesting to come full circle in a way. Well, as we're sitting here with Jesse, who just won for uh, Best Solo Performance, what do you feel are the, the differences in getting a solo show mounted now versus when you first started out here? The differences in mounting a solo show now and then. I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, other than uh, finding a space to do it in, you know, is, is always like, where do we do it and where, how does it fit in that space? Um, it, it, it always comes from the performer, whatever, they have to have something that they absolutely have to tell, some, tell the audience. They have to tell people, they have to share. If they don't have that urgency, and they may not even know what it is exactly, articulately, and that's part of what the work is, trying to figure out what that is, and then giving it to an audience. That's always at the core of great solo performance work. And if that's at your core, and you have something beautiful, even if it's painful to share with an audience, a space will reveal itself, and an audience will come. All right, well, thank you, David Drake. Thanks for presenting the award. And again, Jesse Zarek, congratulations on your win for Best Solo Performance. Thank you so much. Best of luck to both of you in your future endeavors. I am with Crystal Skillman, who just won Outstanding Original Full-Length Script for The Vigil or The Guided Cradle from the Impetuous Theater Group and the Brick Theater Incorporated. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. I, I take it you're having a very good night. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I was just kind of like blinked, and all of a sudden my name was being called, and it all happened. Good thing while you blinked, you could hear your name, right? I know. Yeah. It was kind of amazing. So tell us a little bit about the show that you wrote. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, the Vigil of the Guided Cradles called that because the origins of sleep deprivation, that's actually the title of it. In some countries, it was called the Vigil. Um, sometimes it was called the guided cradle. But basically, it was a device that was strung up in a corner. And as you were being interrogated, uh, if you went to sleep, there would be a pointed cradle underneath you that would, that would hurt you. I think my girlfriend would like one of those. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure now they're sold for fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, but it was the first idea that, um, of not damaging the body. It would hurt you only enough to keep you awake. So it wasn't about impaling or anything. It really was just about keeping awake to get information. Um, and, uh, and I was just really inspired by that. I saw it at the Torture Museum in 2004 when the Abu Ghraib pictures had broken. And I wanted to write a play about how I felt that um, and what's happening now is very much the same thing. Um, so it cuts back and forth between modern day time where a girl meets a stranger on the streets of Prague and also the inventor of the sleep deprivation torture, um, Ippolito. And halfway through the play, they cross paths and she wakes up in his world as a girl that he's been asked to torture. And he can't because she looks just like his daughter. This definitely sounds like a lot of creative imagination going on. How, how did you feel about the staging with the company that presented it? It was incredible. Um, that was probably one of the most outstanding things about the production that I think that maybe might have been daunting for other theater companies that weren't as imaginative as a Petrus Theater Group and The Brick. 
um, and instead they were excited by the challenge and they did what I always imagined, which is that the modern day and the medieval time, um, they are it's staged in the same area. So for instance, the girl and the stranger could turn around in modern day and all of a sudden the medieval torturers are there eating chicken like at their dining room table. So it, like, it really had this flow in the space and the vigil, they actually created an actual device on wheels that was like incredible that could actually kind of transform a little bit and it always stayed there, it was always present and kind of this ominous thing um, that got used in several different ways and it's really heartbreaking when this girl that you're seeing being put into this terrible situation um, is all suddenly you realize that something that seemed like a very simple bed all of a sudden is like a rack and a torture, you know, place. So anything else on your plate coming up? Yeah, a few things, actually. Um, I'm also the writer of a comedy called Hack, an IT Spaghetti Western, that did really well. It was at the Bricks um, Summer Festival this year, and so there's plans, and we're talking about um, that coming back. And as well, uh, I'm writing a new play for uh, Vampire Cowboy Saloon series. That's how Hack was developed, and uh, it's called Killer High. And so that an episode premieres each month. Um, that goes, uh, episode one just happened, and that'll go till January. I'm also on commission for a full length for Vampire Cowboys, which I'm really, really excited about. So you'll be hearing more about that in the upcoming year. And then I am writing a play that it's up for grabs. We'll see who wants to do it. But it's called Another Kind of Love, and it's about a fucked up rock family of three sisters. All right. Well, again, congratulations, Crystal Skillman, on your award for outstanding original full-length script and um, hopefully larger, bigger awards in your future. Yes. Oh, and since it's Broadway Bullet, can I mention one other project? Sure. Yeah, I'm also the book writer of a musical called That's Andy about a boy who wants to play Annie. Um, and uh, we were one of 20 finalists for NAMPT this year, which was really incredible. So we'll be doing uh, an upcoming workshop, hopefully. So when do you have time to do anything else? I don't. <laughs> no, I love to garden. Um, and I love going to see the Mets, even though they make me a little sad. But the tacos at City Field are amazing. All right. Well, thanks, Crystal. Best of luck. Thank you. I am here with Deborah Monk, who just presented the award for artistic achievement to Lanford Wilson. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. You, to say you have had a great career is definitely an understatement. Uh, I want to bring up one of my favorite things, at least, though I never saw your performance, uh, certainly listening to your performance is one of my favorite things from Pump Boys and Dinettes. We- Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful little show. Uh, we wrote when we were all out of work and didn't have agents and didn't have anything. We, I worked as a waitress, and we kind of put, pulled together our experiences and wrote a little show, not thinking ever that it would uh, end up on Broadway, but luckily it did. And since then, definitely so many things to mention. Redwood Curtain, uh, I saw you in Curtains with David Hyde Pierce, uh, film television. But on your earlier, when you are getting started, what were some of the challenges you faced? Or what, were, what was maybe one of the most noticeable, really early, small successes that you felt as an actress? Well, interesting enough, Pump Boys was... Uh was a success because it allowed me I didn't have to no longer work as a waitress or a, a temp but I just told the audience that um, I spent a year and a half doing it on Broadway and I still couldn't get an agent so I think one of my earlier successes which didn't happen in New York at all but happened in Kentucky was that I actually got an agent after I had already been on Broadway for a year and a half so that, that truly was one of your first big breaks. I don't know if I quite realized that, but I, I, I've always loved it. It's one of my favorite shows. It was my first Broadway show. So, yeah. So what was one of your favorite in the spirit of the IT Awards? You're early on your favorite small hole-in-the-wall theater production here in New York. I just gave an award for, for Lanford Wilson where we started at Circle Rep, which was definitely an off-Broadway theater. And... Uh, 
one of the great things that happened to me was that I auditioned for their very small lab company and I got in. And that led to me doing um, Prelude to a Kiss, which opened off Broadway and then went to Broadway, and also doing Lamford Wilson's play Redwood Curtain, which I won the Tony for. But that started off being in a very small little off-Broadway theater. So do you got anything coming up on the horizon? I just did um, a guest starring spot on Brothers and Sisters, which is going to be aired in October. And I just did a movie uh, playing Katherine Heigl's mother and Debbie Reynolds' daughter, which is a movie called One for the Money, which will be coming out in about a year. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming down to the awards this evening, and it's been a great pleasure to meet you. Thank you. I'm here with Olivera Geish, who just won Best Costume Design for Le Serpent Rouge for Company X1V. How are you doing today? I'm excited and anxious. Well, I know we've interviewed Company X1V on uh, Broadway Bullet a couple times, and they usually do some really uh, creative programming, so I imagine you had a little bit of creative leeway with your costuming. Yeah, it's such a privilege, actually, to do such a, like, luscious, visually luscious work, I think. So what was, the, what was the show and what did you get to do costume design-wise for it? Oh, I can't say that. <laughs> Still a great story. Well, it's about relationship between women and men and about since Adam and Eve to our days. We touch also that Piaf. It's just kind of like Austin does work that travel. It doesn't have time, but touch all these bases. And the relationship depicted through dance and through the script. It's dance theater. So it's really, like, really visual. It's not just word. It's, like, the physical relationship as well. So, Is there one costume in particular that uh, you really enjoyed on, on that thing that's, that's describable? Uh, I enjoy nudity in that thing the most. Um, there is one moment when uh, one of the dancers... We just see the man in the bathtub, alone, and then we don't see the woman, but in one moment we just see the red high heel, her leg with a red high heel, and that's my favorite moment, just this surprise. You don't see the woman, but we see her leg with a high heel, so. So where are you from originally? I'm from Serbia. And how long have you been in New York? Uh, New York, six, six, almost seven years. So, do you, are you have any plans on the horizon, costume-wise, that you're working on? I work nonstop, so <laughs> there's a lot of things going on, yeah. Well, I imagine that'll continue after uh, this. I'm just hoping, because um, Mr. Marty Pacolino gave me a word, that it will tear on me Broadway. It's not, Broadway is not my ultimate, but I just really want to work on such a scale, where you can do your creativity without limit, limitations of budget, you know? Oh, even there, there's, gets, there's some limitations, but, but probably a lot higher. I'm more curious. <laughs> I'm curious about it. All right, well, Olivera Gage, thank, uh, thanks so much again for talking to us, and congratulations on your win for Best Costume Design. Thank you. I am here with... Uh, Taryn Drongowski, who's accepting for Michael Kramer, who just won uh, Outstanding Set Design for Children of Eden for the Astoria Performing Arts Center. Taryn's the executive director. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for Michael. This is, I think, the 
fifth nomination that he's had with the It Awards and the second win. And uh, I get to impersonate him. He got called out of town unexpectedly. So he asked me to accept the award on his behalf, and I know he'll be thrilled. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about his work as a designer on the show. About what was that? His work as a designer on the show. Uh, Michael, uh, Michael is our resident set designer, and every year he kind of shocks and awes us with uh, a design, particularly for our musicals. So you look at it and you think there's no, um, there's no dollar amount that will make that executable, and we don't have very many dollars. And then somehow we discover he's not joking. He really intends for that to be the set design, and somehow year after year we pull it off. And it has to do with a ton of volunteers, a crazy commitment to making that vision happen, and uh, and then the other thing is just the, the track record. You kind of go, well, we gotta, we have to do this because we did it before. So every year it gets a little bit zanier, and we think we can do it because of what we've done in the past. So I adore Michael Kramer. He's a big part of. Uh, our theater company's history. So what's up next for the Astoria Performing Arts Center? Well, we're doing Milk, Milk, Lemonade as our fall play. So uh, it'll be a revival, actually, of the production uh, that happened last year, where there are a lot of... Uh, Somebody just won for that tonight, didn't that's they? That's right. That's right. Um, Je- uh, Jennifer Harder won uh, for Outstanding Featured Actress. So we're reviving that. That's coming to APAC in the fall. And then Michael will actually be designing the set for our spring musical, The Human Comedy. So... All right. Well, Tara Nangowski, thanks for speaking for Michael Kramer. All right. I am here with Martin. I'm going to mask her this. Uh, Pac Ladinas. Is that a close? You're part of the family. That's great. <laughs> and uh, you were here to present for Outstanding Costume Design. And uh, I guess it's very appropriate as you are a multiple Tony nominee and uh, a winner for uh, Kiss Me Kate and Thoroughly Modern Millie as well. Yes, I've been very lucky, I have to say. So uh, how did you manage to snag those wins from William Ivy Long? (laughs) Uh, William needs no help. (laughs) I think he's made his place in history, but it's very sweet of you to say that. And the limp is only, no, no, it's nothing, nothing. I've been very lucky with the right shows at the right time. How's that? So what's your favorite part about uh, costume design for theater? Oh, I could never give you one great part. It's, um, I mean, there are, it's an up and down ride, but actually, I guess it's really when the clothes, the clothes never really live until, the, until they're on the actor, and that starts in the dressing room and in fittings, but it never really lives and takes flight until it's with everybody else on the stage. It's, it is true. It's where you, you pray you've done the right thing. You pray you haven't killed the play, which I've prayed before. You, help, you hope that you've done everything. So that, my favorite thing is, I guess, also that sacred tech time, tech and dress time, where we're all putting it together. So is there, has there ever been a time in your past where even you as a multiple award winner and nominee ran into a show where you like wanted to pull out your hair going, I don't know exactly what to do of this or this isn't going to turn out like I was hoping? Yeah, I think, I, I think as a good creator, I, I would like to think as a good creator you think that a lot. You know, interestingly enough, right now I'm doing, I know it sounds, Arena Stage in Washington is doing a production of Oklahoma and something you think would be so easy because so many great productions have gone before, something like that strikes fear into my heart. It makes me work really hard to make sure that I'm doing my own statement and my statement is correct for the piece. 
All right. Well, thanks so much for coming down and uh, sharing uh, your experience and uh, presenting the award for uh, Outstanding Costume Design, Martin Pakladinas. Yes, thank you. All right. Thank you. I'm sitting here with Christine Jones, who presented the award for Outstanding Set Design, as well as Alan Lee Hughes, who presented for Outstanding Lighting Design. How are the two of you doing today? Very well. Wonderful. So, well, maybe starting off, um, in, in terms of design, maybe uh, your experience versus some of the newer people out there listening, maybe it might be interesting in the spirit of the NY8 Awards, is what was your greatest challenge to deliver something on a budget that seemed completely unrealistic? <laughs> Well, it's interesting because actually two of the nominees tonight were former students of mine, and Christine and I both teach it. Oh, so they're ringers. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't know that until I got here tonight. Um, And um, boy, I always say that any show you do, no matter how large or how small, should have its own integrity. And so what that means is you solve the problems, you read the script, you solve the problems, and no matter uh, if it's Broadway or off-off-Broadway and you're working with clip lights, that show should look like that's what you meant it to be. Good answer. Um, I think one of my biggest challenges off-Broadway was working with Julie Taymor. And um, trying to put on The Green Bird was an 18th century Commedia dell'arte play at the New Victory. It was the first show in the New Victory when it reopened after the renovations. And we all know Julie's vision is endless. And so that definitely was my was my my mountain, the biggest mountain I ever climbed. Yeah. <laughs> Any time that you thought that it just wasn't going to happen? Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. I mean, I, I always joke about, you know, the magic of theater. But the truth is, on opening night, I've never had an opening night where the show was not up on its feet. You know, it just, it does somehow magically come together. And after you've done a few shows, you just start to at least have trust and faith that that will happen somehow. You don't know how, but somehow it will happen. Sometimes you wonder what's going to happen on the second night after the adrenaline (laughs) stop. So any upcoming projects that either of you would like to mention? Uh, my next project will be at the Kennedy Center, and I'm doing a few, a uh, couple of new plays this uh, um, year. And I'm working with one of my favorite directors, Pam McKinnon, who won the Obie this uh, past uh, uh, season. Uh, so I'm, I'm have a great season lined up. And you? I'm um, working on a project called Theater for One, which is a, a, a booth for one actor and one audience member. Oh, I read about that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm putting my focus on right now. That's in uh, Union Square? Is it, where is ha- that? It was in Times Square in May, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Christine Jones and Alan Lee Hughes, thanks so much for coming down and sharing your expertise and presenting the awards to the newcomers. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm here with Basil Twist, who presented the Outstanding Innovative Design Award. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. 
Well, you are known, um, among other things, uh, for a lot of work in puppetry as well, correct? Yeah, that's my main, that's my main gig, is, is puppetry. Although it, I, I call myself a puppeteer, but it's, I have a large definition of what is puppetry. So, so what, would you, what would you include in your definition of puppetry that the normal person might not? I, I include set design and choreography and things that maybe, it's just as long as you're animating something, as long as you're bringing something to life which we all do in the theater. It's just puppeteers do it in a special way. So so now this is the first year for this award. So uh, as the first presenter, maybe uh, in, in your understanding, what does this award uh, signify? I think it's because, um, I mean, I, I think as a puppeteer, where even though puppetry is a, is a classical art form, but it sometimes it sort of falls between lots of other disciplines. And... Um, and I just think there's an, a, a need for kind of a design award that just speaks to extraordinary design that isn't necessarily video design, it isn't necessarily set design, it isn't necessarily props or costumes. It may be a combination of those or something that falls in between them. That's where puppetry frequently does, and that's what Andrew's uh, work did because he was using video in in uh, moving, the projection surfaces were moving and constantly fluid and different textures. So it's an integration of, in his case, it's the integration of the video and the set, but it's his, a unique design. And I think that's what this design is recognizing, something that falls outside of the regular categories of set, costume, lights, video. So uh, do you have any projects coming up yourself? Um, yes, let's see. Well, I'm working... Uh, with Pee Wee Herman on Broadway and I'm doing the puppets for him and I'm, I'm also working with Lee Brewer of Mabu Mines on a really uh, unusual version of Streetcar Named Desire that'll take place in Paris next year. So those are some cool things I'm doing. All right, so well, uh, you'll be working with my friend Wendy Save then on the Pee Wee Her- Herman thing, correct? The choreographer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the choreographers. I don't know if yeah. she's one or the, how the... I just found out from her tonight that she's doing that. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. So, uh, Basil Twist, thanks so much for coming down and presenting the inaugural uh, design, Innovative Design Award. My pleasure. Thank you. I am here with C. Andrew Bauer, who just won for Outstanding Innovative Design. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Incredibly well now, yeah. Well, I just got a chance to talk to Basil Twist, who got to tell us a little bit about your fascinating work, and maybe you can go in a little bit more into detail into uh, what you did with the show, as I believe I'm going to mispronounce this. It's French. Fête de la nuit? Yeah, sure. No, that works for me. It works, it works better than how I would say it. So, yeah. um, you want to know just sort of the design? Yeah, tell us about the, the show and, and, and how you work your design ideas into that. Right. Well, I mean, it's uh, Chuck is a really fascinating writer because he, he really works uh, from a collage uh, standpoint. So, you know, you really get um, more of a tapestry of a play than I think uh, any other writer is, is capable of doing. You know, he takes... Um, uh, so many different uh, just pieces from from different sources and whatnot, and then together they, they form this uh, this story. And there's you know you do get a sense of structure, but you also get this really lovely sense of these these things that happen in life and happen in in the stories that we tell, which are these little tangential uh, offshoots and you know stuff that becomes thematic and becomes important later. And it's they, they they're very rich because you never get uh, just a single voice. You, it's it's really mellifluous in in that way. So you know it, you you get this 
wonderful experience um, that is both theatrical and, and yet very familiar in terms of how, how it's like life, you know. Uh, and how would, you know, just working on this show, you know, Chuck, I think, in a lot of ways, the, the best thing about working with him as a designer is just he gives you, and, you know, I think as anything, as a director, as an actor, you know, he just sort of gives you such freedom, uh, absolute freedom. And, you know, I, I was uh, saying uh, during the video uh, portion of this that, uh, you know, he has a stage direction, which is that essentially, you know, you play three minutes of a, of a film. Uh, the film is Lahaine, and it's a beautiful film. Um, but to just have that opportunity, I mean, especially as a video designer, but I think you know, to, to just create that piece of theater that allows for that kind of thing is, uh, you know, it's unusual and, uh, and, you know, to actually be in the theater while it's happening is just really kind of wonderful, sort of serene, complicated moment. And, you know, that's what you sort of hope for, especially in, in work that's more adventurous. All right. Well, see Andrew Bauer. Congratulations on your win for the first win, I believe, for outstanding innovative design and best of luck in your future endeavors. Indeed. Thank you so much for uh, for your interview. Yeah. I'm here talking with Frank Anderson, who just won Outstanding Actor in a Lead Role for The Return of Peter Grimm from the Metropolitan Playhouse. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. I see you have one of those pens I've been coveting. <laughs> It's a campfire pens, yeah, flashing red and green. You, you just got handed one. Are you a tiger? So tell us a little bit about the, your role in the show that you were in. Oh, Peter Grimm, he was, um, he was a good guy. Um, he screwed up things in life with the best of intentions. He died and uh, came back as a ghost and tried to make everything right. And uh, he, he did somehow. He did make everything right, didn't he? That's all. So what was the biggest challenge for you in this role? I don't know that there was a challenge. It was, it was, it was a delight to do. It was, it, there was, I didn't recognize a challenge. It was just a sweet, sweet part. Um, I loved doing it. It was a joy to do. Nothing troubled me. <laughs> Anything coming up on the horizon? Well, right now I'm doing a thing down at uh, Blue Coyote at the Access Theater, a thing called Nance O'Neill by uh, David Foley. Not the comedian, but a wonderful playwright, David Foley, directed by Gary Schrader. Um, Rachel Brown plays Nance O'Neill. I play McKee Rankin, both real people. Also, you'll find in the play uh, Emma Borden and Lizzie Borden. It's a wonderful play. It's a wonderful production at the uh, Blue Coyote. It's at 380 Broadway, two blocks south of Canal. Crappy downtown theater, more of the same. And it's, it's wonderful. And after that... Um, uh, not, uh, not quite as ballsy part. I'm moving on to something called the Las Castrato. I play a Castrato. So it's not the ballsiest part I've ever done. <laughs> All right. Well, Frank Anderson, congratulations on your win for Outstanding Actor in a Lead Role, and uh, best of luck in your up-and-coming endeavors. Thank you, and thank you for your time. I'm here with Elizabeth A. Davis, who just won Outstanding Actress in the Lead Role for Emily and Amethyst Remembrance from the Firebone Theater. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm well. I'm quite surprised, but I'm well. Thank you. You seem very calm. Um, this, is like my, this is like when, I'm, when I don't know what to do, I, 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 this is what I do. I seem calm, but I'm not. So, I, uh, yes, but yeah, sure. And it's a lovely dress you're wearing. I wish we were a video program. Well, I'll tell you, I bought this dress when I did the Miss Texas pageant in 2003. I can't tell. Yeah. So this is a, this is a Miss Texas dress. And uh, 
You don't get to wear Miss Texas pageant dresses out very much, so I figured this was an occasion that I could do it. Well, tell us a little bit about the role you played in Emily and Amethyst Remembrance. Sure. Um, it, it, it was a portrayal of Emily Dickinson from 18 to 30 years old, um, a chronologically backward um, play that, so I started at 30 and ended up at 18. And uh, she's, she's obviously a very intricate and confusing and, and misunderstood woman, but, but beautiful and profound in many ways. And so her poetry uh, is a real inspiration to me personally. And so to be able to, um, to, be able to get inside her head and, and, and kind of work out the things um, of, of why she was who she was for my money was exciting and, and I think that Chris Craig and Day did a fantastic job of, of really um, giving her own portrayal of what she thinks happened in this wonderful woman's life and um, it was a fantastic fantastic opportunity so so is there anything up on the horizon for you? Yeah, I'm currently understudying in the 39 Steps, running at Neural Stages. Actually, tonight's my first official night of being on the books there, and so I'm not there. Um, but And they needed you tonight. I, they, I certainly hope. Kate, Kate McCluggage is fantastic and doing a wonderful job, and so I'm honored to be able to understudy her, and it's a fantastic cast. And um, we're hoping that it runs for many, many months and years. And uh, so that's on the horizon, and that's for six months, Lord willing. So, What, what is the rehearsal process like coming in as an understudy on an existing show? Real quickly. Um, well, if you see horror in my eyes, that's probably <laughs> what it's from, is, is the rehearsal process of... of uh, well, I came into the show... I, I had a week of rehearsal, let's just say. So you're looking at me today with about four days of real rehearsal um, and being officially responsible for the show. Uh, however, I've watched the show a ton. The, the crew, AD, have been fantastic in, in giving me a, as much attention as need be, and the movement captain, Cameron. So I also did a lot of... Out- That's an incredibly complex show for exactly. to learn in four days. Exactly. So I've been doing a lot of outside work. Um, Stephen Gabus, the, um, the dialect coach, has, has been really wonderful. So I have my Russian and my Scottish and my British intact, hopefully. Uh, and, and we've just been doing... You know, I've, I've watched the show probably 15 times at this point, where just getting the blocking in my head and then making notes and then making adjustments. And, and I think I'm surprised actually at, at, um, at how much I've been able to, to get in my head just by watching. I think one surprises oneself. You don't realize how much you know when you're, you know, it's, it's really osmosis. I mean, you're just sitting there watching the show and um, it, somehow it's there. So we shall hope it's there, I guess. Um, but I am going to be doing the show October 20th. I'll do eight shows beginning October 20th. So um, I'll be, my parents are driving up from Texas and everything. So Are you going to wear the Texas dress again? I, 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 of course I will. I have Actually, I have several. So one might, another one might have to, to surface. So. All right. Well, Elizabeth Davis, congratulations on your win tonight for Emily and Amethyst Remembrance. And best of luck in your future endeavors. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I am here with Brian Smith, who just won Outstanding Director for Pink from Down Payment Productions, along with Christian Parker, who presented his award. Uh, Christian Parker is the Associate Artistic Director for the Atlantic Theatre Company. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Really happy to be here. 
Uh, Brian Smith, so did you? You're probably going to get this a lot. Did you win for directing your high school play? Uh, I didn't. Uh, yeah, Babyface. Um, this is an audio program, so I'm spoiling the cake. That you look very, very young. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm actually 24, about to be 25. Uh, still very young, I guess, by winning standards. Um, but this is our. This was our second show with my company, Down Payment Productions. I also produced it. Um, our, we've done three shows so far. We're doing another show this spring. Uh, I love working off Off Broadway. And uh, what was the? Tell us a little bit, a, a little bit about the show that you uh, won for. Sure. Uh, Pink is a, a story about five girls at a summer sleepaway camp that uh, most of our audiences, after they saw the show, said, "I am never sending my child to summer camp." Uh, our playwright Stacy Davidowitz spent years working at this girls' camp and. Uh, drew on a lot of people that she met there uh, for inspiration. Um, and these kids can just be vicious. And I think we, it was five 12 year old girls played obviously by older actors because the material was a little bit questionable. But uh, I think we showed kids in a way that isn't often portrayed on stage or on screen. Now, uh, Christian, you, of course, Atlantic Theatre Company is very well known and has developed some you know, shows we all know, among, among others, uh, The Spring Awakening. Yeah, yeah. And just out of curiosity, in the spirit of these awards, what does Atlantic Theatre Company look for when finding a director for their pieces? You know, uh, we're, we're a very play-centric company, so we really look for, we start with a playwright, actually, and we really look for the relationships that they have. And then when we, when we talk to a director about a play, we, we uh, you know, we listen to their point of view on the, on the, on the text, and, and uh, we look for people who we can tell are going to be great to work with, and we look for people who have a lot of energy and interesting ideas you know I think everybody you know assumes that you have to have a certain track record or something as a, as a director and that's not always the case we've definitely taken a lot of chances on new new artists and uh, you know my my uh, colleague Neil Pepe when I first got there was taking chances on me when I was just starting to, to direct more often too so um, it actually plays a priority on that as long as somebody seems like they're smart and they get it you know without naming names have there have there been experiences where a, where somebody was didn't seem to have a track record, you were really uncertain about whether or not you know you should use them, but that they did end up surprising you. Yeah, I mean, I, I can think of more than one example of that actually, and it usually became through. I mean, honestly, and I teach, so I, I sort of teach my students about the, sort of this sort of idea that it's it's these decisions end up being built on relationships that exist. So, you know, when playwrights have come in and advocated for that we meet with people, we always will. And we don't necessarily always hire those people, but I can think of several occasions where we have ended up um, trusting our own instincts and the instincts of the playwright to hire somebody who we didn't really otherwise know, sometimes who we, whose work we'd never even seen, and it really turned out well. You know, I think it's sort of about the, the, also the quality of the attention that we pay to that process. But um, yeah, it can work that way. It doesn't always happen that way, obviously, but um, it can. <laughs> All right, and uh, Brian Smith again. Uh, do you have anything on the horizon for yourself? Uh, not a whole lot right now. We have a show that we're uh, developing for the spring to do in February or March called Yes, We Can by Daniela Shoshan. Um, and other than that, I'm, I'm busy at my day job. I work for a Broadway producer, and we have a ton of projects on the horizon that keep me busy. So who do you work for? Uh, Hal Luftig. Catch me if you can this spring. Uh, come see it. Any dirty, nasty stories about Hal? Absolutely not. <laughs> I wish. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. 
All right. Well, Brian Smith, congratulations on your win for Best Director. And uh, thank you so much, Christian Parker, for talking to us about Atlantic Theatre Company and, and your directorial policies. Thank you. Such as they are. <laughs> I am here with Rob Neal, who is the managing director and founding ensemble member of the New York Neo Futurist, who just received the 2010 Cafe Chino Fellowship Award. How are you doing today? <laughs> really great. We're feeling uh, very excited because we just got to perform as well, so that's kind of crazy. And there's like 20 people backstage who are getting photos and interviews. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a, an ensemble of 20 people, and they were all here tonight, pretty much. Well, in a nutshell, I guess, maybe sum up what, who, what the new neo-futurists are. Yeah, the, the, the New York neo-futurists... Uh, are best known for their show, Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. We do that uh, 50 weeks out of the year every Friday and Saturday, and that's an ever-changing attempt to perform 30 original plays in 60 minutes. Um, but the basis behind neo-futurism, which is not just us, there's also a company in Chicago, and other people do it around the country, uh, is that you, uh, you have a lack of pre pretense. So you are who you are, you are where you are, and you're doing what you're doing. So it's a different approach to uh, performance than maybe most traditional acting is. So, uh, so right now they are at the IT Awards on stage. Uh, so, uh, am I getting the gist? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we, we brought plays that would be about being, you know, you know demonstrating the different the kinds of styles of stuff we do, but it's like we are there with the audience. A lot of times we're talking with them or involving them. I mean, we at the end of, at the, end of the plays we did here, we did a, a, a play that we went out and taught audience members a handshake that was really long and convoluted after we'd been demonstrating it up on stage. Uh, now, what does this uh, fellowship mean for your company? Oh, the, the, the Cafe Chino Fellowship is, it's, it's such an honor. I'm, you know, this is, what, the fifth one to be given out, maybe the sixth. Uh, but but it's, it's it, to, to be recognized for the, the totality of what we're doing and, and the kind of consistently outstanding work that we're creating. I mean, it's, 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 it's such an honor, and, you know, that there are um, uh, so many companies out there doing amazing things on the independent theater scene and that, you know, being recognized by that community as, as doing great work is, is just thrilling. So what was the inspiration behind your getting together? And you're one of the founding ensemble members, so I'm guessing you know a little bit of the story of what brought you together. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, the initial impetus is this, this neo-futurism started in Chicago in the late 80s. Uh, and they uh, wanted to kind of branch out east. And, and so, you know, a bunch of people auditioning and trying to create their own work. And ultimately, uh, what brought this group together was that catalyst and all the people in this group's desire to create uh, original work that's always challenging and always new and always changing and somewhat random and chaotic. And then uh, ultimately the uh, ability to always be activating yourselves as writers and performers and directors and activating the audience as audience members. All right, so anything up on the horizon besides the ongoing Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind? Yeah, Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, always cooking um, every weekend. But we have a new show coming up in the fall at the Living Theater called Unafraid, which is a uh, neo-futurist deconstructed horror play. Uh, it's in October, uh, running from the 14th of October to November 6th. We uh, crank it out, like 24 performances in four weeks, and uh, just kind of give the audience a, a, a kind of a... a journey through their fears, our fears, uh, fears in you know, general 
ghosts and societal fears and, and hopefully a crazy experience on top of it all. And probably much better to go check out than Saw 29 in 3D, right? Uh, yes, a very, a very cool thing to do. I mean, I, you know, you could, you could go to the regular movies, and I can understand how someone might like that, but we're going to give you a totally amazing original experience, you know, in the historic living theater, too, on top of it. All right. Well, Rob Neal, congratulations, and thanks so much for sharing a little bit about the New York neo-futurists. You bet. Thanks so much for talking to me. I am here with David Caporelliotis, who was the presenter for Outstanding Ensemble, and he's a casting director and the cap in Mel Cap Casting. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad that my presenting duties are over. Okay, so the question everybody wants to know is, uh, how do they get cast in your shows? How do what? <laughs> Every actor wants to know how to get cast in your shows. Uh, so many different ways. So many different ways. It's most important just to keep working. D- describe exactly what your job is, because you, you come in and you work with casting on shows. It's, honestly, it's a service industry. It's bringing in actors, two directors, two playwrights. And, you know, in terms of where my job begins and ends, it's really their decision who they ultimately want to cast. It's my job to advise. Have there ever been times where you haven't really been able to get inside a director's head and can't figure out exactly what they're looking for? Yeah, you know pretty quickly whether or not you speak the same language with that director. And sometimes you don't agree with their taste and you've just got to sit quietly or make your case. Depends. It depends. It's tough when you care about the piece a lot, you know, and you get that way, but, you know. So where do you go to find, do you just take submissions from agents, or, or what are the ways you go about finding the actors for that you got to cast? Submissions from agents. We take open submissions, actors that send their headshots and resumes directly to our office. We go through all our mail. Um, we see showcases all the time. I'm sure people in my office have seen a lot of the shows that were you know, awarded tonight or nominated. So really, anywhere where there's acting, we, you know, we need to be. So, uh, do you ever get a chance to find somebody who hasn't been on Law and Order yet? Well, sure. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Listen, I would love that job. That's a great job. Anyone, any actor in New York, they all belong on there. They can all do it. But yeah, there's, the, the, there's no shortage of talent in New York City. That's for sure. What would be your advice to let's let's assume talented actor uh, that hasn't gotten noticed yet? What would be your advice on how to, like, cut through without being uh, annoying? Honestly, I would say as long as, you, as long as it's not breaking your bank account or your spirit to keep going and you do think you're talented, keep studying, keep auditioning, keep working, try to maintain some kind of life outside of the pursuit so you don't get bitter, you know, because it's, it's understandable how you would if you're sitting on a lot of talent that's not being noticed, you know. So it's really trying to live a full life outside of the pursuit of your craft, and hope that, you know, your tenacity is going gonna, is gonna to pay off. How, how, much, how many actors do you feel don't know how to accept? I mean, let's face it, a lot of times it is about quote-unquote typecasting and how they look. How often do you think actors have the problem that they really just haven't accepted or grasped exactly what their look is? Hmm. You know what? I don't know the answer to that question. Because in your mind's eye, you feel one way about yourself. And in some way, that is who you are, right? Even if someone isn't perceiving you that way, that is how you are. Um, I think more TV and film, the typing out thing can be a drag, I would imagine. You know, but for theater, you hope that it's not going to be as reductive as that. You know, that people are going to be able to see beyond what your immediate package is. And, you know, you look at a lot of actors who didn't take the normal paths. 
to stardom, like Cherry Jones and people like that. You know, Cherry's a beautiful woman, but she's not traditionally, you know, what's thought of as a leading woman, but she's played terrific leading parts. You know, so I think, and I don't know how else to answer that, I guess. It's just really accepting that people are going to view you in a way that you have no control over and keep your eye on what you think, who you think you are and, you know, be open. All right. Well, David Caporelliotis. Did I get that right the second time? How'd you say it? Caporelliotis. You got it. Perfect. I got, I got it. Okay. Well, thanks for coming by and presenting the award, and thanks for speaking. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. I am here with three of the four winners for Best Outs- sorry, Outstanding Ensemble. Uh, Mark Bovino could not be here tonight, but is one. And we also have Joe... Kernut? Yeah, Joe Kernut, that's it. All right, well, I'm letting him hear your voice so they can know who you are as well. Uh, Michael Dalto? Thank you very much. And Stephanie Wright Thompson? That would be me. So um, maybe one of you can choose to, who wants to tell us about the show, A Personal History of the Robot War from the Mad Ones that you uh, won for? Stephanie raises her hand, you. Yeah. If I, if I would try to tell you about it, it never comes out as well as it might be conceived on stage. We, we imagined an alternate present where America has perished and now we are in a current day Russia and they are in love with American kitsch and we've taken on kind of the, the doom that takes place in 1959. We've taken on in present day Russia with these characters. So what is the ensemble nature of the show that warranted this being the ensemble award? Do you want to take this one, Mark? Or is it Michael's side? Um, well, it definitely starts with these three guys. Uh, well, we're missing Mark Bovino, but it definitely starts with Joker New and Stephanie Thompson and Mark Bovino, um, who lead us through this story. And we're, we're doing a radio show, um, and so there's a lot of ping-ponging of lines bouncing around, and uh, I was there to help support them with uh, playing guitar and... Uh, um, it was a community story that took us, everyone telling it, to really get a clear view of the story and, and also the world that we kind of created uh, at the same time. So uh, was there maybe one particular rehearsal moment anywhere along the line that you felt particularly interesting along the way? Yeah, sure. Well, the way that the show was created, we just had sort of source material that was kind of poetry, and then we sort of took it and spun, spun it. And one moment that I remember very distinctly, we were borrowing rehearsal space, of course, uptown at Columbia University and we had a 30 minute improv where we were improvising this radio show that we had all envisioned in our heads of what it could possibly be and we improvised for 30 to 35 minutes the moments before the radio show begins when you first actually meet the characters and how they actually interact with each other and I knew then that we had created these characters in our own image and we had become sort of like a family on stage it was great. So really quick, uh, what's up, and say your name as you, again as, as, as you, the mic passes to you, but what's up for each of you next? Uh, this is Michael Dalto speaking to you. Uh, I'm getting ready to go to uh, Montana, to go to Basin, Montana, uh, where there's an artist refuge out there, and I'm going to be creating some work with some friends uh, that we will hopefully be bringing back to New York in three months. All right, you'll have to tell me about that artist refuge. I am myself from Montana, so. And uh, then... Uh, looking at uh, all these names. Uh, Stephanie. Uh, I'll be doing a show in November, uh, performing in December, called Michael and Edie, written by the playwright uh, Rachel Bonds, and it'll be happening in downtown theater. All right, and uh, Joe Kernut, what's up for you? 
well, we're still, the Mad Ones are still operating, and we're still trying to run with Samuel Nowster and see where that lands next. But also, I'm a co-creator and writer of Unnatural Acts, the Harvard Secret Court of 1920, which is in the season at Classic Stage Company uh, in the spring. So I'm working on the final script revisions for that right now. All right. Well, congratulations to all of you. Joe Kernut, Michael Dalto, Stephanie Wright-Thompson, and Mark Bovina, who couldn't be here, on your win for Best Ensemble. Thank you very much. I am here with Jennifer Conley-Darling, the uh, artistic director for uh, Terra Nova Collective, as well as Lauren Rayner, the uh, producing associate. They just won Outstanding Performance Art Production for Binding, which I believe was a big winner this evening. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Feel it. We're just overwhelmed right now. <laughs> and, and I have to point out uh, that I talked to you earlier, sorry, and now I'm in the stack of names. Jesse Zaret. I did not notice earlier on that you were a double winner yourself, uh, not just for uh, best solo performance, but for best uh, chore- choreography. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Well, congratulations again, and now for this win for Outstanding Performance Art Production. So, um, as Artistic Director, Jennifer, um, what attracted you to this piece? Uh, well, Carlos Armesto, who's the artistic director of Theater C, who actually produced the production of Binding, uh, submitted this show uh, to our Solonova Arts Festival uh, as a work in progress. And we had actually seen uh, an excerpt of Jesse's work at Theater C's benefit, uh, sort of a kickoff launch event. And I was absolutely blown away by the way this man moved his body and the way he communicated with the audience and uh, basically said to um, James Carter, who's the curator for the Solonova Festival, get Carlos to get Jesse to submit to our festival because we really want him. He's amazing. Whatever he does, make him create something, just make it happen. So that was really how it started. And uh, Carlos actually, I guess, must have convinced you, Jesse, to, to, to create something. They created this... Uh, especially for uh, the festival. Well, with three NY It wins under your belt tonight, is there any chance this might be coming back for an encore? Well, I sure hope so. Lauren, do you want to answer that question? Uh, yeah, I mean, Carlos has been working hard. You know, we, we've been talking to presenters about this. It's, but, you know, the piece really is Jesse. Uh, so it really, you know, and Jesse is so talented and has so many things going on. Um, but, of course, we'd love to see this piece continue to be developed and, um, and then continue to move. So. Well, I see Jesse over there showing absolutely no interest in revisiting this work. <laughs> really? Uh, you know, I think, with, I think with, with solo work and I think of myself, in some ways now as a, as a solo artist like in a way you're always working on that solo piece um, and, I, and I definitely think aspects of this production will continue to live in hopefully future collaborations with Theater C and maybe with Terra Nova Collective so yeah we'll see. we'll see I was being sarcastic congratulations to all of you on your big wins tonight and uh, best of luck in your future's endeavors thank you so thank much you. thank you thank you In addition to winning Best Ensemble, Samuel and Alistair, A Personal History of the Robot War, also just won the outstanding production of a play. And I'm here speaking with Lila Neugebauer, uh, who is the director of the show. And she's all smiles, and I'm smiles, and I got the name right. That's right. It's tough. So uh, tell us a little, it's, it, they, they spoke a little bit about the creation of the show, and it definitely sounds like it was a different process than a typical play for creation. you want to tell us about your involvement in that process? 
Sure. I mean, essentially, this piece lives somewhere between uh, an ensemble-devised work and a co-authored work, but one in which, um, essentially, two, a, a team of writers brought to me some sort of textual fragments, and we all identified uh, a kind of a cast of characters and an evocative landscape, but um, neither a narrative nor a kind of conceptual structure for those fragments were really apparent yet. And then through a series of extended workshop periods together, we forged a kind of conceptual framework in which ultimately that text turned out to be the text for a radio play um, in a Russian radio studio in an alternate present. Um, and this text was sort of like a, a fragment of a, of a lost Americana history. Um, uh, and then with the actors, the ensemble, two of those actors were also the writers. Um, we created a set of characters and a world uh, and sort of shaped, shaped the play as we went along. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the theater company as well? Sure. I mean, we're new. <laughs> um, we're called the Mad Ones. Oh, new? Oh, never mind. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> Forget those. Um, but we, we really identify as kind of a collective of artists who like to make work together and I think have an interest in um, uh, looking at American ideas and themes through a kind of heightened, perhaps surrealist theatrical lens and... and devised together. Um, I think we're still figuring out what we are. This was our first work, and we're about to embark on something new. Um, so hopefully you'll come see that, too. And may many more of your productions win more awards and get audiences. So Lila Neugebauer, thanks so much for talking to us, and congratulations on your win for Outstanding Production of a Play. Thanks so much for having me. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up Volume 413 for September 24, 2010, our NY It Awards special. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about all these people, you can go to broadwaybullet.com and click on Volume 413. And I've got a link there to uh, the NY It Awards at nyitawards.com. You can also check for more information there. We're going to be back on October 7th on a regular schedule of the first and third Thursday of the month with a brand new episode with some great interviews. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Until then, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. 
directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.